Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. So this moth flies into a doctor's office. He says, Doc, you got to help me. He says, I'm having a hard time. I'm really depressed. I don't know what I'm going to do. Can you help me, please? And he says, I can't help you. I'm a, I'm a chiropractor. He says, you need to go see a, a psychiatrist or something. He says, why'd you come in here in the first place? He says, the light was on. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from David Hidalgo of the band Los Lobos. Their new album, Tin Can Trust, is up for a Grammy. And Los Lobos, if you if you didn't know, means the wolves. Yeah, so we just heard a wolf tell a joke about a moth. That's right. It's like Noah's Ark in here. Or, or Aesop's Fables. Or something. Coming up, satirist Christian Lander, Swiss dress codes, therapy dogs, bull weevils, stealth miso, and Toro y moi. But first, time for small talk. So, Rico, to honor Mark Zuckerberg being named Time's Man of the Year. The founder of Facebook. The founder of Facebook. I'm going to deliver the headlines as Facebook status updates. All right, let's give it a try. All right, so uh, <laughs> Hawk Hogan went from single to married. Oh, I got I to gotta remember to write something on his wall. He found love. Uh, Sweden invited Julian Assange to an interrogation. <laughs> a little bummed I was invited. He's like, decline. That's right. Um, after the tax deal passed, uh, House Democrats changed their relationship status to Barack Obama to it's complicated. That's, of course. And uh, John Boehner joined the group Weepy Millionaires. <laughs> The, the poor guy just can't shake that memory of working at a bar once. I know. It's terrible. <laughs> Maybe the tax cut extension will dry their tears. You can't cry while you're laughing on the way to the bank. So. <laughs> For updates from the world of news that didn't make it onto Facebook, we turn to our colleagues at Marketplace. Stacey Vanek-Smith, reporter, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, I'm going to be talking about a message the Swiss bank UBS sent to its retail banking staff. It's a 43-page code on how to dress. A 43-page dress code. Oh, yeah. You're not supposed to eat garlic or onions. You're not supposed to wear short socks. They want, for women, uh, flesh-colored underwear. Um, (laughs) Men are also um, supposed to wear good quality underwear that is undetectable. So now basically everything is secret about the Swiss banking system except the color of their underwear. (laughs) Abishai, artsy assistant producer, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Therapy dogs for college students. I'm guessing therapy dogs are allowed on couches. They're allowed anywhere. I mean, uh, university officials are worried about college students being too stressed out right now during finals week, so Tufts University is bringing therapy dogs onto campus. So the idea is to help them de-stress? Exactly. I guess that's great, but what happened to the chain smoking? (laughs) That won't prepare them for that dog-cuddle-dog world out there. No, no, it won't. Rada Bead, senior producer of the Marketplace Morning Report. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? We've just learned that a computer named Watson, built by IBM, is about to take on the biggest Jeopardy champions of all time on the game show. The way they took on Gary Kasparov and Chet? Exactly, except this one will be televised and has Alex Trebek, unlike the other one. Do you, will the computer win? That's creepy. It's very strange. It raises two questions. One is, how does the computer actually operate the buzzer? And the second question is, how can it choose the different topics it wants to answer? You know? That's true. How does it know what it's best at? I will take End of Humanity for 600, Alex. <laughs> and now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a novelty store corsage, but instead of squirting water, it squirts booze. History is 
Such a card. Yeah, right in, right in your face. What a prankster. <laughs> uh, anyway, here's the story. This week back in 1919, the town of Enterprise, Alabama, erected one of America's oddest monuments. Now, the Alabamans at your dinner party might know what it was. Our friend Michelle Phillippe's here to tell the rest of the world the story. The people of Enterprise didn't just overcome pestilence. They were thankful for it. It all began in 1915. Back then, everyone in town grew cotton. That is, until the boll weevil showed up. The evil insect had just destroyed Mexico's cotton crop. Now it was happy to chow down on Alabama's. Enterprise farms were nearly wiped out. That is, until a local named H.M. Sessions did some research and learned the area was great for farming peanuts. The first crop paid off big time. Soon, other enterprising enterprisers switched to peanuts too. Eventually, the weevils moved on to wider, fluffier pastures, but the pest had taught locals the value of diversifying their crops. So, in December 1919, they erected a monument to the boll weevil, honoring it as a, quote, herald of prosperity. The monument looks kind of like the Statue of Liberty, but instead of a torch, she's holding a giant weevil. It's not the original monument. Some teenage boys ripped the weevil off that one, along with both the statue's arms. As of now, Enterprise is not planning a monument to the scourge of teenage boys. So that's the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. History brought us back to Alabama this week, so we decided to return to the Bottle Tree Cafe in Birmingham because they made such a great drink last week. Joining us is Wes Fraser. He's a bartender there. Wes, what cocktail did the history inspire you to make? I came up with one called the See No Weevil. (laughs) I like it already. You're a man after my own heart with that pun. (laughs) Tell me more. What's in it? Well, there is no peanut liqueur, so I was trying to work peanut into it as best possible. I know. I knew this was going to be a curveball for you. This is a tough one. I tried uh, pureeing peanut butter, but that didn't work (laughs) so well either. So to keep the word nut in it, Tom Bagby, who is our head chef here, he came up with a uh, vanilla coconut simple syrup. Wow. Yeah. The drink itself is stoli vanilla, cream de cacao, the vanilla coconut syrup, and half and half. And then on top of that goes a little sprinkling of toasted coconut and some cinnamon. Man, that sounds delicious. It is pretty incredible. And actually the coconut seems is a little reminiscent of the cotton that once was yeah, the yeah. primary crop down there. Yeah. You have this all figured out. Yeah, it took a while, though. That was about my fifth drink. (laughs) So Um, in other words, the bull weevil forced you to innovate and diversify. (laughs) So Rico, I think what I learned is there's like a real business opportunity for a peanut liqueur. That is, you know, I was thinking the exact same thing. I did not know that. I I mean, honestly. There's a liquor for hazelnuts. How can there not be a peanut liqueur? Yeah, if you blend it with like a cognac, you'd have this upscale PB&J. That's right. Or, a, or really upscale, it would be a PB VSOP. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I know what I'm ordering later. <laughs> people, if there is uh, another thing you would like turned into booze, or many things, tell us about them through our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. The farmer told the weevil, believe you're on the square. But we were told the farmer, my whole damn family's there. Gonna get you home. Gonna get you home. Our guest of honor this week is Christian Lander. He is the creator of the blog Stuff White People Like. His new book is full of witty descriptions of stuff a certain breed of white person does indeed like. It's called Whiter Shades of Pale, and Christian, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Speaking of which, why have you not done a Stuff White People Like entry about our show yet? Um, uh, it's about dinner parties. Well, well, It's public radio. Public radio is covered in the first book. 
I, th I remember reading that, but for those who haven't, what were sort of the bullet points? Uh, well, the key about public radio, you can ask a white person about anything, provided you say you heard about it on public radio. So you can go up to a white person and be like, so they were talking about herpes on public radio today. Do you have it? As long as it was broached on NPR, then it's okay to broach it in casual conversation. Absolutely. This is a key tip for dealing with white people. So people at home should think about stuff they want to talk about in casual conversation. Write in. We can talk about it. Yeah. Someone can just write in and be like, yo, there's this guy at my office with a really weird arm and I want to ask him how he got that weird arm. So can you talk about weird arms on your show? So I can be like, NPR was talking about weird arms and now I want to know about your weird arm. Do it, people. It's dinner party at AmericanPublicMedia.org. Here's my second question, which is actually more of a, a situation I found myself in. I posted something on Facebook. I said that I had just watched the World Cup and it was a great excuse to drink Dutch gin in the middle of the day. And a friend responded that you had just written about that, that white people like to say that they watch the World Cup and then talk about what they drank in the middle of the day while doing it. Yes. How do you do that? How do you see into my soul? Because I do the same stuff. I mean, like, I'm making fun of myself as much as anybody. And, like, I love themed drinking as much as anyone. And so when the World Cup comes around, I'm like, oh, here's an excuse. Let's get together and drink Tempranillo and Bass. Perfect, you know. Which is why I guess you don't get accused of being a racist because you're making fun of yourself. No, I still get accused of being a racist. Let's not throw that out. Really? Yeah, absolutely. People don't get it. They're like, stereotypes are bad. You're racist. And it's like... Not really, dude. I say you, white people like yoga and waiting in line for food. Yeah, sure. This is this is not going to start a war or anything. Exactly. I mean, someone once posted on my site a great comment explaining why it wasn't racist. They said, no one has ever been denied a job because they like yoga and expensive sandwiches. All right. Uh, oh, and I wanted to add, so my friend posted a link to your blog on my Facebook page, and I posted underneath that that I think posting links to stuff white people like is itself something white people like. Yes. So my question is, have you done the obligatory entry on yourself? No, no, that's like inception. I'm not ready for that. See, it's funny that your friend did that because it's like people always ask me about why the blog was successful. And I was like, 50% of it was people recognizing themselves and being like, oh, this is me. This is pretty funny. The other 50% were people who looked at and goes, hang on, I know this asshole and hitting forward. So that's what your friend did. You know, think you're unique? Send. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, we have two questions that we ask everyone on the show. The first question is, what question at a dinner party would you least like to be asked? What did you score in the GRE? Because I don't want to talk about my math scores. I don't think anybody would think to ask you that. They might say SAT. I didn't take the SATs. I'm from Canada. All right, but I do now have to ask you what you scored on your GRE. 400 on the math. Oh, my. Uh, our final question that we ask everyone on the show sure. is, tell us something we don't know. Oh, this is the worst because, like, I am a real trivia nerd. Perfect. No, now I'm like, do I go baseball? Do I go literature? Do I go Canada? You know? Oh, that's interesting. Any one of those. It's the information about Canada that might blow your mind. This is just me tooting Toronto's horn. I'm from Toronto, Canada. And believe it or not, Toronto, according to the United Nations, is actually the most culturally diverse city on Earth. What? Yes, the United Nations says this. They measured it by percentage of foreign-born and the diversity of ethnicities in the city. Do you win an award or extra money from the UN for that? I think we got a cake, but I didn't get any of the cake because I'm white. I feel like you guys have enough. Rico, you know, something tells me that the Torontons who are proudest of that award yeah. were the white ones, right? <laughs> that <laughs> seems like something they'd embrace. That's right. That does sound like something a white person would say, though. And this could go on forever and ever and ever. That's right. <laughs> Just like the internet. Folks, uh, test us out on that thing. Like at our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash dinner party download. Take the man that says he didn't miss no miss time, somebody out of the land. I'll keep on going down.
So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. So Rico, earlier this year, I predicted that one of the big food trends of 2010 would be food trends. That is right. <laughs> you remember v- my visit with the trendologist. That is right. And that you predicted that more and more people would get in the business of predicting what was going to be popular in food. Well, sure enough, this year the folks at Eater.com started a trend watch that keeps track of the many companies that started predicting trends. You are on top of it, my friend. Predictably. Yes. Could have put money on it. (laughs) So to get a sense of whether any of these companies are legit and to see what's on the horizon for 2011, I spoke with Eater editor Paula Forbes, and I first asked her about a New Year's prediction from a company called Technomics. One of the biggest trends they predict is action in adult beverages, which just sounds like a section at a movie store as opposed to like <laughs> like a food trend. Well, what Do you know what they're talking about? I think they're talking about creativity in cocktails. Wow, that sounds like something that hasn't happened before. Can't wait to see what happens. Maybe they'll blend vodka with tonic. Which is one of the issues with predicting food trends is that you look around and you're like, okay, a couple of these things are already happening, so I foresee that getting bigger. All right, one of the other things which I found intriguing is frugality fatigue. This is something we've seen on on some of the other lists is this idea that people are going to start getting sick of having cut back over the past couple years. Well, that's kind of a safe bet. Is anyone not sick of cutting back? Well, definitely. And I mean, you know, there are only so many people who can afford to have frugality fatigue, right? All right, well, let's move on to uh, Andrew Freeman and company. He predicts mini plates. How much smaller can plates get? No, I I agree with you. I mean, I I think that small plates is is on its way out. (laughs) I was hoping it was going the other way, like medium plates. Yeah, I mean, it does seem as though he's implying smaller than small plates, (laughs) like individual bites. There's another company called Baum and Whiteman. And one of the predictions, um, I love this idea. I don't even know what it means, but stealth miso. I think that means using using miso as a flavoring ingredient in dishes you wouldn't expect. You know, Western-style soup. What is the benefit of being stealth? Stealth with miso. You know, why wouldn't you just tell people? <laughs> I, th- I think that that's just miso popping up in unexpected places. Um, Not miso's like a ninja that just emerges right. in, your, in your flavor. <laughs> You're like, whoa, my pizza just tastes like a bowl of comforting soup. Okay, last trend, fancy poutine. I think that we saw a poutine trend a couple years ago and that it's it's coming back. By fancy, you know, you're starting to see people using nicer cheeses or there's truffles involved and that kind of thing. And can you explain poutine for um, those who may have missed the trend the first time or have never been to Canada? It's a Canadian snack, I guess, although it's a little heavy for a snack. But um, it's french fries and it's topped with cheese curds and gravy. This is if you, in case you're having health fatigue. So, Brendan, this is what I'm worried about. If the trend trend ends, uh-huh. does that mean that we have nothing to look forward to? <laughs> I think you're right, man. Nothing is going to be big next year. <laughs> you heard it here <laughs> it, first. It's the natural folks. evolution from mini plates. Food will disappear and we'll pay for it. And that's the kind of existential dinner party download for this week, folks. Thanks this week to Jackson Musker. And now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to while heading to or on your way home from this weekend's dinner parties. The artist is Chaswick Bundick, better known by the stage name Toro y Moi. The song is called Leave Everywhere. He's got a new record coming out in February. Bon appétit.
I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Thanks for listening. All right. Time for a post-show drink. Now. Yeah, yeah. Wait, did you just hear something? No. Hmm. Wait a minute. Who put soup in our scotch? <laughs>